0: Welcome to Little Things, your weekly friend meet cute with me, Coastalie Cummings. It's cozy time. Meg Conley is a writer, speaker, and community maker. She has been writing online since 2011. She writes for Jen, Medium, Bravery Magazine, HuffPost, and others about topics that make her question, like spirituality womanhood, immigration, motherhood, race, and faith. Meg is based in Denver, Colorado. Meg, thanks so much for being here. I've missed you, and it's so good to see you. (laughs)
1: Good to see you too. That was a really nice introduction. Oh. (laughs) If I had business cards, if we lived in a world where we needed business cards, I would put that on it. It's really
0: oh. It was my pleasure writing that. I love I love kind of summing up someone a little bit. <laughs> um and I miss seeing you this year at Alt Summit. That's usually where we get to meet up every year. I truly,
1: I I knew I was gonna miss Alt. Uh because it's such a lovely time. But um mm-hmm. I was surprised by like the hole that I felt not going this year. I mean, we yeah. don't go every year, but I don't know. I woke up, like, the week that it would have been happening, and I was like, oh, all my people, my ladies. So.
0: I know. It's just such a good time to, like, reconnect. And I know next year, I secretly am, like, a little bit not not happy, but I wouldn't have been able to go this year because yeah. we moved. So I was like, oh, maybe maybe somehow I can make it next year. So there's a part of me that's, like, a little bit happy that's not going on right. without me. But... But mostly sad for all of us.
1: <laughs> well, next year, we'll get you out there. Come hell or hell. So, <laughs> Thank you. Or we'll bring it to you. We're like, Gabby, <laughs> let's do it in South Korea. Like,
0: <laughs> 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 we'll be- Everyone fly out to Seoul. No big deal. Yes. Everyone.
1: No, I've always wanted to go.
0: Oh, So I want to talk to you. I mean, you write about a lot of topics that I'm really interested in. And I feel like you often write essays that are on top of mind for me, too. But I want to ask you, um, in general, why, why do you write about home?
1: It's a really good question. Um, I've been asking myself this. I think I have two answers, if that's okay. The first is that I'm a writer. So I think whatever I did with my life, I was always going to write about it. So, like, if I had become, like, if I had gotten into botany, I would have written about plants. (laughs) Like, if I had, if I had, like, pursued a PhD in history, I would have written a lot about history. And so um, I didn't do any of those things, though. And maybe in another life I would. Instead, um, I was raised in this kind of very traditional religion that taught me. Uh, that women were supposed to be mothers and homemakers. And actually, my parents didn't really uh, reinforce that at home. We were like, you know, my parents talked about, like, you should go to Sarah Lawrence and you should become a writer. And, but the messaging that I got from uh, church kind of stuck. And so, you know, I didn't finish my degree. I started a family. I became a mother. I became a homemaker. And, um, and then I realized, well, that <laughs> <it's> not- <laughs> sorry, you're at home, baby. It's crying. Oh. It's a
0: it's an off day. Sorry, off day. sorry Meg. <laughs> <laughs> the
1: like the screams of the children. Podcast you have heard me right now. <laughs> you know what? Is this?
0: So topical that you're talking about home and here my children are
1: screaming in the background. (laughs) Well, yeah. So what I did was I started building a home and, you know, I found, you know, I I came to it later that like, like I am a mother, but my purpose is not motherhood. Uh, Homes are important, but women don't need to be like what is centered in the home to make it important. But even as I came to those realizations, I became like more fixated on the home, (laughs) even as uh, I had this paradigm shift that maybe freed me from the way I've been taught about it. So I am a (laughs) housewoman. I don't know if I'm a homemaker, but I am just obsessed with the home. Um, The other reason I think, and I actually just wrote about this on my newsletter, But I think the other reason that I write about home a lot is, um, I was raised in the suburbs, like Southern California suburbs. And there are these places that are ostensibly centered around the home. Like the suburbs exist for single family homes to live, like to be placed one next to the other. Um, (laughs) but like the sidewalks are always empty in Southern California suburbs. Like there's, there are... Each home has its own culture, but there's not uh, a capital H home culture that connects all these homes, uh, unless you consider commuter culture a home culture. And so um, as a kid, I was always, and you know, I didn't have the words for it, but I was always hungry for this shared story that connected my little single family house to another little single family house. Um, And I couldn't find it. And so I think that's another reason that I write about home is I'm desperately searching uh, for the shared stories that like will create a cultural fabric. Um, Not just in the suburbs, obviously, but like in the cities, anywhere where there's a home, uh, duplex, multi-home, single family home. Um, I feel like in America... uh, we're, we're missing elements of that shared story or they're there and we no longer acknowledge them. And so I'm, I'm writing to fi- try and find it, I think. So, so yeah, that's why I'm obsessed with it.
0: You are. I love it. I am too. It's super fascinating to me. And I think once I, you know, I was raised similarly, um, and sort of feel like I was, and I don't really like this term, but I, I don't know, like I was raised to be a like homemaker. Right. In, in every sense of the word, like to create that space, to create the pe- the people within it, to create just everything that encompassed. And it wasn't until I was, you know, fully signed up for that. And people, you know, I started making <laughs> babies and they were part of it that I it started to get really real. And I realized how alone I really was and how there was just such a disconnect where I realized, you know, on walks, we it, I kind of started having children when we lived in a big city in New York City. And I remember just going on these walks and feeling like looking in people's windows and seeing other people about their business and Nannies and moms and dads and thinking we're all we're all doing this, but we're all we're all doing this alone. I don't know. It was just like this, really, kind of disheartening, but also really curious thing for me to realize that we were like, where were the people? Where were the other people doing these same things as I as I was doing?
1: Well, and it's interesting because you know, and again, I actually just heard. an essay about this uh, with human parts on medium, but I write about how when my family, we'd leave the California suburbs, like to go into LA on the weekends. And I would find shared stories there, like communities that were sustained by shared stories. You know, like we'd go eat at a Jewish deli. And it's like this, like shared cultural understanding that obviously is not my culture. And I, You know, I could eat the delicious sandwich, but, like, could not claim the culture. But I was exposed to communities that did have shared stories. Um, And I think that that – because I think sometimes – I think if my parents hadn't uh, helped introduce me to other people's stories, I would have felt like this – mostly white suburban disconnect, I felt was the American story, but it's absolutely not. There are a lot of shared stories in America. Um, I think that some of us have forgotten how to access them or the only shared story we've been willing to access for a long time is like American exceptionalism, which is, a uh, You know, racist and imperialist and colonialist, and it doesn't. It doesn't. It's not really a shared story that uh, sustains. It's a shared story that hurts, and so, um, Mm -hmm. and so I think that's that isolation you're talking about too, right? Because especially once you decide Mm -hmm. that's not a shared story you want to be a part of, um, it's a little confusing to know where to start uh, in a lot of parts of America.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I heard I heard a lot of stories growing up, and I think my family was really good about telling the stories of like my grandparents and great grandparents, and and back and my parents. Each of them, respectively, were very proud of where they came from, however humble, and um, how you know both families had immigrated or um, moved across America to find a better a better life and more opportunity. Um, so I felt like a really strong sense of like the, uh, family culture identity with my Norwegian heritage and on my mom's side, she has Spanish and Basque and, um, that's something that her family is like very proud of. And same on my, my dad's side, that Scandinavian heritage explains a lot of like the personalities in the family and the hard work ethic and stoicism and, and maybe some of the the pride even, you know, and I think, and having that has helped me understand, um, family and relatives more and given me a a sense of place, a feeling of place. But then when you are in turn in charge of creating that on your own and trying to figure out what you're going to leave behind or keep or recreate from your faith culture or your family culture, or what you've seen in the outside world, it's, it can be really overwhelming. Like what, what do you, what do you hold on,
1: and what do you leave behind? Yeah, well, and it's very overwhelming because everything that you're describing—I mean, I had two, uh, but again, it was like this, like individual family home culture that didn't connect uh, to the other homes around me. And you can't figure out how to sustain your family culture if you're not helping, if you're not being sustained by a network around you, and you're not helping to sustain the network around you. I think, you know, I. Uh, I have, I'm, I have a lot of Irish ancestry and, um, and the stories that we have back uh, from Ireland, <laughs> the family, um, they are stories about my family, but they're stories about a community too. And I think that, I think that home culture needs, a strong home culture needs a community. And so many of us have tried to be um, like self-sustaining power sources. Um, with our own, within our own little four walls, like, and, uh, like the nuclear family as a power source and, um, it, it just doesn't work. And so, um, it's, I think it's especially hard to figure out what pieces of your family history to bring into your home and let go, uh, if you're doing it in isolation. Um, I think America right now is trying to find more inclusive shared stories and uh i think we're trying to weave like a brighter uh we're rainbow flecked social fabric that connects one home to another um but but i i do think that we have to be actively engaged in that work for it to happen um and so yeah that's kind of that's kind of what my work is like turned into at least like examining if not helping to try and push forward a little bit we'll see yeah
0: yeah you and I we overlapped in the Bay Area for I think a couple years and we were able to spend some time together there. But since then we've both moved to other places. And I wanted to ask you, now that you live in Denver after living in Oakland, how how have you made a home in Denver? And then and then, and then also the follow-up question that is because I mean I love following you on Instagram and Twitter and everything. And I also love you in real life. <laughs> but um how can we make a home online? Or can women make a home online? Oh,
1: that's a good question. Okay. Okay, I'll do Oakland to Denver first. That was a really hard move. Um when Riley and I, Riley's my husband, for <laughs> people listening, um, when we moved to Oakland, we're both from California originally, like raised there. And we were in Utah for a couple years and then decided to go home. But we're both from Southern California. And uh, he got a job in San Francisco. So we went up to Northern California, or it's kind of Northern California. And um, Oakland was really transformative for us. I think we kind of became ourselves there in a lot of ways. Uh, I don't know if you had that same feeling. Yes. Like in that area, but, um, yes. I was exposed to a lot of new ideas. It was the first time I'd lived in a city. Um, before then, I'd done suburbs and small towns, uh, and it kind of, people are like, what radicalized you? <laughs> like, moving to Oakland, like, changed everything. Totally. No, it was great. And our <laughs> girls, we have three daughters, and um, all three, Oakland was really all they'd ever known. So the decision to leave Oakland was incredibly heavy. Um mostly driven by uh, cost of living and the housing crisis, which is something you and I, like if we're talking about home, we could talk about that forever. Um, and so we, when we left Oakland, we were pretty heartbroken about it. Uh, we knew we wanted to live in a city still, so that's why we chose Denver. Um, Denver, which is also not overwhelmingly affordable, um, cities don't tend to be but there were things about denver that were more accessible to us uh i was going to be able to work here uh one reason we decided to leave oakland was we could not afford childcare there and riley uh riley's commute was only nine miles to his office but it was often an hour and a half each way um because he'd have to go across the bay bridge you know and so um, one reason we decided uh Home wasn't home unless I could write and work. And so we moved to Denver to make a home that fit me too, and not just the kids and Riley. Um, So I'd say that in making a home in Denver, a big part of it was figuring out what I needed to be home. And I need my husband and I need my kids, but I also need my work. Um, Another thing that was incredibly important to us was that we live in a city And that, um, my kids had access to experiences different than theirs. I want them to know people who are not like them, um, because in no way, shape or form do I want my kids to think our family is like the standard. Um, Mm -hmm. like we have a lot of love, the love we have might be the standard, but the way that our family is composed is not the standard. The way we look is not the standard. And, um of course that's accessible everywhere. We have found that uh, experiences like that are more accessible within a city. Um, and so we wanted, uh, yeah, we wanted access also to museums. <laughs> that's kind of an important one <laughs> for us. So, Denver's got, a museum. Denver's got a lovely art museum. It does, it does. It really does. And then, um, and then I'm trying to think, I mean, you know, as far as, like, when we were moving, people are like, like, I we bought our house, uh, like, over the phone. Like, like we... I, I'm, a, I'm like, does it doesn't have a working toilet? Is there an oven? Oh,
0: my like, goodness. Well, because you were at the standard of trying to buy a house in... And- <laughs>
1: area, which really lowers your expectations. Yeah, well, we lived in Oakland where those things, an oven and a working toilet were not a given in our price range. And, um, and I'm not overly, f- I, environment matters to me, but I am not overly fussed about, uh, I think you can hang pictures on any wall and it will feel like a home. And so, um, I wasn't too worried about like, What the walls looked like. And so, yeah, like aesthetics. The aesthetics, I wasn't overwhelmingly worried about that. And so, there was a home in our price range, and I did want my kids to be able to get settled right away because I didn't know we'd be entering a pandemic six weeks after we moved. So, I thought like having them in the right school, like, you know, in like, this is your school. This is the school that you're going to be in for the next six years. Like, I'm not going to move you around. I thought all that mattered. so, yeah, so when we saw our house, it was the day before we – the first time we, like, saw it in person was the day before we closed on it. And uh, I walked through, and I was like, yeah, this will work. Like. <laughs> Such fashion, <laughs> But, you know, we had books, and we had, uh, we had our pictures, and we had each other. And, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't – uh. I don't know. I've had a cou- couple people walk in and call the house a project and I'm like, what the fork are you talking about? Like it's a- <laughs> as good as is. <laughs> Gosh, Well, we're so obsessed, right? I mean, like I wrote, yeah. uh, I wrote this Instagram post a little while ago about uh, this uh, home makeover show that's on Netflix and the response uh, through me because uh, I think, I think in America, what is depicted as making a home uh involves a lot of like uh remodeling and what's that fancy concrete tile called uh you know it's like like like, like subway tile yeah, or- yeah so you and I are not the people to be having this conversation <laughs> <laughs> no, it's <kind> of fancy <laughs> it's like um i don't think that those things are bad per se but i just don't think that that is what uh I think those things can adorn a home. I don't think that's, like, what makes a home. And so, uh, but, but yeah, I did have, I have had some people over before the pandemic who saw, like, my 1987 kitchen. And they're like, when are you going to tear these cabinets out? And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) why? Like, they open and close.
0: (laughs) We live in a, in a. I love our apartment. I think it's f- my favorite place we've ever lived, including what we thought was like our dream house that we moved to in Salt yep. Lake city. Um, it is old and like, hasn't been like renovated, but, um, the woman who like designed it and owns the building, she lives above us. And she did a really good job of picking out like high quality windows yeah. that are from Denmark. And like, she has brought in light fixtures and it's, it's kind of like classic stuff. There's some stuff that's dated. You know, the kitchen is all dark wood, but she bought the but She was very proud and told us how she, I think it's all from France or something, but it's all dated. And if I showed pictures, people would say, oh, you know, yeah, it's a little dark and like it needs to be redone. And I'm like, I would choose this over like an Ikea kitchen any day, like yeah. there's like history here, even though it's a rental, it's like you can tell it's like high quality and everything works great. I've never lived in an apartment where everything feels so clean and well maintained and it's old, but everything works and is of high quality. And I would, I absolutely would choose high quality over something, yeah, cheap but that like looks well, and I just trendy.
1: I just think. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's not that I, you know, there are some things I care about. Like, Riley and I looked, when we moved into this house, we looked for our kitchen table for a long time. Like, and we found one on Craigslist. It wasn't expensive or anything, but I just wanted, like, a round kitchen table because I wanted a lot of people to sit and eat in my house. Like, I want, like, a lot of people at my, like, metaphorical table. And <laughs> table. and so, I mean, I could could put... Care into that, you know, like I do think the things that we have in a house matter. I just think I don't know why we're always having to tear everything out and start completely anew all the time to um feel like a place has become a home, and uh and yeah i'm I'm with you i'm I'm much less concerned about like. My kitchen cabinets being the right, whatever. Like, I'm much more concerned about what's in them. And, like, am I the type of person that's like helping fill other people's kitchen cabinets? I don't know. Like, that's homemaking, right? Like, I think so much, so often we talk about homemaking like it's exclusively uh, keeping a house clean and decorated. And I think that can be part of it. But, um, It's been really freeing to know that for me, that's very, uh, very little of it.
0: Yeah, that it's so much more. I like to think of homemaking as like the two separate words and they're separated with a dash. It's like, and both emphasized homemaking. I don't know. It just, cause the word homemaker is so. It's tough. It's a tough word. It's. Yeah. Yeah. And it just carries so much baggage for me and it just immediately feels patronizing. Yeah and it just it doesn't encompass i don't know i just like if people say the word i'm always like let's if you're gonna use that word like let's talk about it let's make sure we're on the same page with what this actually means i
1: want to unpack this (laughs) with you well and the minute that i was like homemaking isn't just about my home like how am i helping other people make their homes like i am a homemaker. If I'm like advocating for affordable housing in my neighborhood, like I'm a homemaker. If I'm, you know, volunteering at the Catholic Mission in Denver, that like the Denver Rescue Mission, they do so much for the underserved population in Denver. Um, like that's homemaking, right? And so as soon as I was able to paradigm shift that way, um, and not only was it like. I was able to view the work in my home differently, but I was able to see, uh, that I'm not, I can't just make my own home. Like that is like, that is not enough. And, um, and so as soon as I extended the term to helping other people, uh, make their own homes, it kind of became like this exciting community building concept that I think I'll spend the rest of my Uh life, like investigating. Um, and interrogating, uh, how to help without stepping on toes and following other people's lead. And, um, cause there's so many people already doing this work, but, uh, but yes, until I got to that point, like Hellmaker was still not my favorite term, but like I've redefined it a little bit and I feel more comfortable with it now. <laughs>
0: So how would you say, I mean, talk about community building and once like tapping into the idea of home and it kind of became this exciting concept of you building this, this cohort of women and you have like a lot of people that really, I think you're speaking a lot of what we all think and don't know how to put into words um, But how have you made a home online
1: or, or not made a home? And do you think women can make a home online? Oh, it's like a really good question. Um, So online for years was like a super prickly place for me. Because it seemed like, um, especially on Instagram, if you weren't, um, how am I going to say this? <laughs> if you weren't, uh... say it however <laughs> Instagram for a long time for me functioned as a place where you could reach people if you had a message of self-help which um is not what I offer (laughs) and then necessarily
0: you heard it here Meg Conley is not about self-help I (laughs)
1: think I'm not about to pretend but like I can help myself for yeah. you, <laughs> like, but um. So that's or you know it was um a place that was like uh, heavily dependent on you, will-
0: Were you. Oh, say that again. Sorry for interrupting was you. Well, I'm just you're always you're about the questions, not the answers, and that I mean that is why. Yes. Yes. And, like you're not okay. You're okay with saying I don't know. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Maybe. That- and a lot of people
1: try to just give answers I on Instagram or. I really love that. That is why I have a problem with self-help from me. Like why I could never be a self-help person because at the end of the day, um, I think the wisest thing I can do most of the time is shut up and listen (laughs) to everyone else. Um, I think think that once I realized Instagram wasn't just a place where women could go and like Pedal self-help and wasn't just a place um where we could see beautiful things both of which are necessary um when I realized it was a place where I could ask a question and then a community of women would rise up with like sometimes literally a thousand different answers uh it felt like a place uh that had value for me it felt worthwhile yeah because I I want I want to hear women and um, the community that I get to engage with on Instagram, and you know, as my newsletter is growing, is like this really rich, vibrant community of people—not just women. For a long time, it was exclusively women, but now, like people, which is so fun. Um, yeah, that uh, that have a lot of questions and have a lot of answers, and are also making room for different answers to the same question, and that's been kind mm-hmm. of. I think that's what home is. Like, I think that's why the community that I get to be a part of on Instagram has and in my newsletter has started to feel like home. Because I think home is a place where you can ask a question and every member of the family can have a different answer and you're still at the same table together. And uh, that's been, that's been like really, really transformative for me. And as the community has started to grow it's really been transformative to see people learn from that. I think when people are new to like the interactions that happen on the newsletter and on Instagram, like they want to come in with those answers and like, this is like the definitive answer. And so I always, I always try to like, you know, especially when I'm asking kind of a tough question, it's like, you know, uh, we need to be respectful of each other and we, we, we're going to disagree here, but in disagreeing, um, we find, like, other, we find out that the truth is kind of, like, this, like, rounded thing that, like, we're all just, like, catching different, uh, different pieces of. And I, I, that's been, that's been exciting. Like, I, I do feel like women can have a home online, but it needs to be uh, expansive which, uh, we're not always good at and it needs to be, uh, reflective. I, Hmm. I feel at home online because I'm willing to learn from, like, from the women who are there and can teach me. I mean, there's been so much learning happening over the past year, um, and longer, but I especially feel like I've seen a lot of people engaged in trying to understand, um, a lot of the systemic issues that our culture deals with, Um, racism, misogyny, uh, transphobia, homophobia, like all the isms, all the (laughs) phobias. And uh, I think home is a place where you learn and I have seen, uh, even in the little community I get to be a part of, so much learning happening. And uh, I don't know, that feels like home to me also. Uh, something I'm really excited about with my newsletter is because it's like this newsletter on home culture, but for a while I was the only one writing on it because um, it was growing and I didn't want to like make people write to nobody on my newsletter. But as as the audience has grown, I've started featuring uh, people from other backgrounds who have other experiences because my concept of home culture, my questions about home culture are not even going to begin to cover all the questions, all the concepts and um I don't know if that's felt like home too like I have one coming up uh, in two weeks from a writer that I'm really really excited about and elevating her voice and her experience with her ancestors uh, feels like good homemaking. Uh, yeah.
0: yeah, you're like broadening the tent. You're expanding your tent.
1: Uh, Yeah, or, like, I feel like she's letting me sit at her table, Yeah, you know? And that feels, uh, like, such an honor. Um, And so, but I do think, I do think women, I think it's hard to be home online sometimes. And I really respect, as I've become more comfortable with it, I really respect the women that can't or haven't, uh, Found a home online because I think there's a lot of um, confusing pressures there. No,
0: yeah, sometimes even just feels blatantly unsafe. Oh
1: yeah, oh yeah.
0: I mean, so I mean, (laughs) sometimes Meg (laughs) is just like, whoa, the stuff you highlight or Gabby or others, you know, the the tweets that they get or messages I get. I just, I mean, wow, it's a hostile.
1: And it feels really violating, especially when you're so used to like the community that I get to be a part of, um, in my online spaces is so, um, people from so many different backgrounds. It's so accepting. It's so expansive. And then, uh, when someone violates that, uh, with, you know, ugly, Racist, misogynistic language. It feels jarring because it it would have always felt jarring, but it feels really jarring because I've gotten <laughs> uh, used to the space that so many people have built with me. That is just the exact opposite of that. And then I, rem- you know, when that ugliness comes in, I remember, oh, uh, <laughs> this this is always out there, uh, and we've kind of. Uh, created a space where I'm able to forget that sometimes, but yeah, some of the emails I get in response to things I write are uh, a, little, a little bit scary. I actually shut down my Facebook because of some uh, harassment that I was uh, dealing with. And I, I just wanted to like limit the digital footprint, but um, it's hard to do because it's like, this is where my, you know, all my writings online. And so you, you're constantly like weighing, is it safe for me? uh be online and if it's not then like I literally can't work so that's uh that's not gonna uh fly so uh so yeah no more Facebook now but I still have other things so
0: yeah oh wow that's sorry to hear that that's intense (laughs) I mean it I mean and you, you knew this already but if you're writing things that are having that strong of a reaction I mean it's like obviously you're hitting a pressure point that We're grateful that you're hitting and um, that you're being brave and, and saying those things. I think it's hard for a lot of the rest of us writers to know. I don't know. I I have a hard time putting those things that feel so like tender or vulnerable, like out there because of fears of like, of not being liked, of not being received well, of, of being perceived as like, Oh, that's, I just do hot top, you know, I, I don't know, there's all sorts of, but then it's probably just a, just, yeah, just more the fear of like, is this safe? Um, it's just really sad. Everyone should be able to have a voice. It's really oh, so disheartening that, you know, there's so many voices that we need to hear, but it's just, they don't, we don't have a voice unless we have to make it. We have to, yeah. we have yeah. to speak louder so people listen
1: you have to clear the path. I mean, I'm really into persuasion. I really want to persuade people. I don't want to beat them over the heads, like with my um, convictions all the time. But, you know, sometimes like a little hitting over the head, like, I guess is called for. But I mean, one example is I did this series of essays in my newsletter on home ownership in America. And I kind of, um, it was like, I think there were three newsletters in the series. And each one kind of uh, picked apart like the cult of homeownership in America. And it showed like, uh, the racist foundations of like, you know, uh, it discussed redlining, and um, how like, uh, HOAs, like housing covenants were started, like by racist white people to keep people not like them, you know, out of the neighborhood, and um, and then it it unpacked the fact that you know generational wealth is built through uh, home ownership often, and the people who can access home loans are the ones who are going to build generational wealth. And you know, generational wealth here just means that like maybe you can help your grandkids with college. I mean, I'm not talking about like Bill Gates, Like I'm talking about like um just enough to protect your either your children or or their children from um predatory predatory uh lending practices whether we're talking about student loans or home loans and that got uh I felt like it was a really even-handed analysis. It was received really, really well by most people. And then there were some people who were really, really angry because they felt like I was trying to take their accomplishments away from them. Like, um, by saying that, like, listen, at the end of the day, like, the way that America has treated mortgages and neighborhood boundaries is, like, based in this very racist past and present and, um... And I I I'm not trying to take anything away from anyone. I want people to understand that there's so much more to give. Um, and that like home is not a limited resource, and that everybody deserves a home, and everybody deserves to be part of the community, and everybody deserves access to the tools that so many of us take for granted in finding a home. Um but but I do think some Some people get ruffled because they feel like my writing is uh, trying to take take. And I feel like my writing is showing that there's just a lot uh, to give, like more than enough to give. But uh, some readers agree to disagree on that. everyone's welcome you can agree to subscribe, Just subscribe to meg's newsletter please <laughs> Follow on instagram on. and make only <laughs> i have had to ban a few commenters and block a few people sure. on instagram but for the most part I, you're right in that like i do hope uh that the people who are not violent in their response and i don't have to block uh do think about it and do come back um because uh Yeah, I mean, it was that the home ownership series, for example, did get some very negative reactions, but it's much uh, more important for, like, as a white female who has had access to home ownership, to be writing that newsletter um, than requiring the people who have been harmed by the system to stand up for themselves and have to write that newsletter. Like, I, I, there's not much that I can do. Um... To end like systemic problems, except for speak up about them and make a lot of space so that people are thinking about them and working with me to end them. I mean, like all together, we can do a lot. Uh, me personally, like my hope is that I'm creating the space so people like feel like they can join me in the work. Um, and 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 I think I have seen some of that. Uh, I I do think I've seen some some hearts changed. Uh, but we'll. Uh, We'll see. Like, and when it, when there's a call to action, like when I ask people to help me, um, you know, raise money for a specific issue or get to work in their own communities working. And, you know, I suggest um, like accessible, uh, affordable housing organizations they should reach out to and things like that. I do get a lot of emails and DMs from people who have started to engage like in the actual day-to-day work, which, I don't know, that's kind of, it's kind of cool. <laughs> it's really cool.
0: Yeah. No, that's really, really cool. This is, I mean, it's tying back to the idea that being a homemaker is not about just making your own home. They were all interconnected and, right. um, you know, when we, we embolden each other to like speak up for people who don't have vo- a voice or bring, you know, amplify voices that others wouldn't normally hear or bring up issues that a lot of us don't deal with on a day-to-day basis. Like that's, Absolutely homemaking and home building.
1: I hope. Cause that's the only kind of homemaker I'm ever gonna be. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> You're a good cook too. <laughs>
1: Actually, that's true. That's true. I'll take it. So, no.
0: You like food and you like to cook. <laughs> we share that. Oh <laughs> um, Mick, what are you work what are you working on right now and where can little things listeners find you?
1: Okay, so um I know I've mentioned it a million times, but I'm really Really excited about my newsletter. It's Stay at Home Meg. It's on Substack. So megconley.substack.com, I think, or Substack.megconley.com. I think it's megconley. I'm double checking <laughs> it for
0: you. I'm going to double check it and make sure we're sending people to the right place. Yep. It's
1: megconley.substack.com. Yes. Yeah, so I write about home culture there. And then I also, um, amplify and share voices that are not mine, writing various aspects of their home culture. Um, it's, that series is called At Home With, and we have our second entry in that coming out uh, the end of this month. And then I uh, also write on Medium, and I write a lot about women's issues there, and a little bit about politics, um, kind of more about cultural culture generally. Uh, I'm working on a book. So we'll see how that goes and um, <laughs> I'm just really excited about the community that we've the you know people like say like like <laughs> there's like a follower count at the top of Instagram, which I think is so ridiculous like that's a community count and like I'm just one of like whatever the ten thousand people um there are like ten thousand amazing people uh in that community, and I am very excited. To interact with them several times a week and continually impressed. And uh and so yeah, you can find us, not just me, there. And that's a lot of fun.
0: What's your Instagram handle
1: again? Uh <laughs> 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 it's at I know it's already that. Underscore Meg Conley. That's right.
0: Okay. I sometimes forget that underscore, but yeah, it's at underscore M-E-T-C-O-N-L-E-Y. That's,
1: <laughs> a, that's a really good question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. What is my Instagram? Um,
1: and, and on my Instagram, there's links to my newsletter and to my uh, essays on Medium. On Medium, I write a lot about like the unpaid labor of um, caretakers and things like that. And that's always fun to interact with people about. Yeah.
0: yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show, Meg.
1: It's so good to see you too. I'm going to come visit without my kids.
0: <laughs> oh, please do. That would be amazing. We would have so much fun. Sure. We would go to so many cafes. be <laughs> great. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Little Things. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you can hear about all the new episodes, and if you want to follow along a little more, hop on Instagram and follow me at Coastally Cummings, and you can also subscribe to my newsletter at coastally.substack.com.